0: As we, uh, Bible class here at St. Paul's, as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians, we welcome all of you, and especially those in our listening audience on KFUO. We are at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 29, verse 29, very interesting verses uh, that have been debated in the church for a long time. Otherwise, why is it, or what is the meaning of those being baptized in behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why baptism... On behalf of them. This is the only time in the New Testament that this is ever mentioned. And what we can gather, what was going on, was people became very concerned about their loved ones who had died and did not know Jesus Christ. And they were actually practicing baptism for those that had died ahead of them with the hope that this would save them. Now, Paul's using it in his argument about the dead. If the dead are not raised, why would you be baptized for somebody that was dead? if there is no resurrection of the dead. Now notice that in these verses, he does not forbid it, and he does not condone it, which has led to all kinds of debate over the centuries. We do not practice baptism for the dead. Okay? We do not. There are some that do. Uh, if you are in a Roman Catholic hospital and deliver a baby who has that has died or miscarried, they will sometimes ask you, do you want the baby baptized? Okay? They will. But we in the Lutheran Church do not practice this. But uh, the debate you know, has always gone on, um, and it's still debated to this day. We're not going to get into that. We're just going to look at it from the way Paul is looking at it is. Such a practice makes no sense if the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, why do this? And it's it's very specific. He says, if the dead are not raised at all, okay, then why do this? And he's going to have several arguments here, but basically we do not practice the baptism of the dead for in behalf of the dead, but evidently in Corinth some were. Then he says, And why are we in danger every hour? And uh, then he says, I die every day, swearing by our pride, brothers, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, he's saying, Because of the things that he suffers, he dies every day. His pride is that he was used by God to pour out the grace of God on the people in Corinth. They're his pride and joy because he was able to minister to them. But then he goes on. Why, humanly speaking... Did I fight beasts in Ephesus, what did it gain me if the dead are not raised? So what does it gain me if I'm in danger every day and the dead are not raised? What did it gain me if I fought beasts in Ephesus but the dead are not raised? Okay. Um, Why be baptized in behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised? Okay. All these arguments. Now, we don't know of any time that uh, Paul fought beasts in Ephesus. We know there was a riot, and he was in the um, arena. But this may be a figurative language, as he says, humanly speaking. He may be talking about that there were beasts, his opponents in Ephesus, that he fought. But what he's laying the groundwork is, why would I do all this if the dead are not raised? That's the argument. And then he quotes a passage from Isaiah 22. Let us eat and let us drink, for tomorrow we will die. You've heard that before. Let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we will die. But that is an actual quote from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 22. And what's happening in Isaiah chapter 22? The Assyrians are at Jerusalem's door, and God has told them, This is because of your sin and your idolatry. So there are two things that people, two things they could do. God was calling them to repent, to repent and turn back to him. But their other alternative was... Well, since the Assyrians here, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we're going to die anyway. The exact opposite of what God wanted. And so he's quoting this here as saying, if the dead are not raised, then eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we'll all die. And it doesn't matter, because there is no resurrection of the dead. It's a very sarcastic argument. But he is quoting from uh, Isaiah 22, and the context there is appropriate. It is appropriate. Then he says, do not be deceived. Bad conversation corrupts good manners. Okay? Bad conversation corrupts good manners. You've heard that before. Uh, it's birds of a feather flock together, uh, lay down with dogs, get up with fleas, okay? There's all kinds of sayings that reflect that, that if, even if you, are, if you are on the right side, but you constantly flirt with evil, at some point you're going to be corrupted, okay? That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So he's making all these arguments. Um, Then he says, be sober as you should and do not sin. For some have ignorance of God. I say this to your shame. All right. What he's saying is be sober. He's not talking about drunkenness. He's talking about sober minded. Okay? Not carried along by false teaching. Be sober minded. Okay? Do not sin, for some have ignorance of God. This would be his condemnation on those that do not believe. Okay? They do not believe. And evidently, there are some of them within the church in Corinth. Because he says, I say this to your shame. Say this to your shame. Remember back in uh, chapter 5, he had instructed them to excommunicate one such person. And he may be pointing to that again. They shouldn't be among you if they are ignorant of God, if they do not believe. If they do not believe. All right. So he's argued that there is the resurrection of the dead. But then he has to deal with something else. We've got to remember... That the people then had come out of all manner of religions but almost exclusively they said that the physical body was evil and was the seat of evil and when you died you got rid of this The body, the flesh, was no good. This is what Plato taught. It's around all Greek thinking that the body is the seed of evil. And along comes Paul and Christianity and preaches the resurrection of the body. This would have been a very bizarre teaching to the people then. They would never have dreamed or heard of such a thing. That the body could be saved. That the body uh, was saved by Jesus Christ and would be resurrected. And so now Paul has to deal with that. In Corinth. And so what does he say? Why will some of you say, or how are the dead raised? What kind of body, literally, what kind of body do they come with? <laughs> when they resurrect the body, what kind of body do they come with? because they could not figure out how a body that is laid in a tomb and that is corrupted and decays could be resurrected. How can you go from decay and corruption to be resurrected? And the people of that time... Needed this explained to them because it was so far beyond their comprehension. And you've got to remember, Christianity is the only religion that teaches the resurrection body. We confess it in the creeds and just go over it. Like we've heard a jillion times, well, there's an awful lot of people in the world that would take issue with that statement. So, he doesn't miss words now, verse 36, fools, that's what he calls them, fools. You who sow what is sown does not give life or does not have life unless it first dies. So what he's saying is, if you take a seed a grain of wheat, it's dead. You plant it dead, and then it lives. Now, this is God's doing, but it can't live until it dies. And he's applying that to people can't live unless it dies. because when it's sown, the body that it has is not has not happened yet. but it's bare, that's a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other plant grain, some of the rest, okay? So he's trying to explain to them that death comes before life and that a plant starts out as a dead seed. Then he goes farther. God gives to it a body as he wills, and to each of the seeds its own body. All right, so God gives it. When a seed, when you plant a wheat seed, you get a wheat stalk. That's different when you plant a spinach seed and get spinach. God gives to each a body. Now what he's really pointing them to here is this. Don't question God's ability to do this because he is the Almighty. He created all these things and he can give life to a body, be it in the plant world or anywhere else. Don't question his ability to do this. And this first example he gives is in the plant world. Then he moves on. His next argument, not all flesh is the same flesh. It's different for man. It's a different flesh for animals it's a different flesh of wing creatures it's a different for fish so again he's saying all these are different bodies okay but god created them god created them so his first argument is plants his second argument is living beings, his third argument is, and there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But, okay, but he says, uh, there is a difference in the splendor or the glory of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly bodies. So there's a different glory for the sun, and a different glory for the moon, and a different glory for the stars. For even star, a star, differs from another star in splendor. Okay, three examples. Plants, living creatures, heavenly bodies. The glory differs. What's the common denominator? God made them all and gives them all special bodies. Now he's going to apply it. He's going to apply it. Verse 42. So the resurrection of the dead, it is sown in corruption, it is raised in in incorruption, it is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory or splendor, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body, for there are natural bodies and spiritual bodies. So, he is telling them, first principle, has to die before it's alive but even an earthly body a human body is sown in corruption because of sin and death but it is raised without corruption or it might your translation might be it is sown uh, imperishable or, or perishable it is raised imperishable It is sown without honor. A dead body in the ground has no honor, but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, sickness, death, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it is raised a spiritual body, Okay, because there are both. And then he really applies it. Okay? Then he says So, as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life giving spirit. Adam and Christ. The second Adam. The second Adam. Adam brought death. He was a living being, but he brought death. Christ became a life-giving spirit. And so he continues this analogy. But the first is not spiritual, but natural, then the spiritual. Okay, so the natural comes first, then the spiritual, then the spiritual. In other words, you have to be born again. You have to be born again. Then he says, the first man was from the dust of the earth. The second was from heaven, Okay, from heaven. So uh, we get this gist that he's drawing this parallel between Adam and Christ. So the man of dust, so are also those who are of dust. And it is in the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And then he brings it uh, to a head. When he says in that last verse that, uh, and so uh, we are, we carry or wear the image of the dust. Also, we carry or wear the image of the heavenly. That's where he brings it all. So a human being who believes in Jesus Christ is not only of the dust, like Adam, he is of heaven, like Christ. Okay? Of heaven, like Christ. Now, what we get into here is this. How many resurrected bodies are there? Well, the only one that was ever seen was Jesus Christ. And the fact is that he, uh, when he rose from the dead, he was alive. But he still had his humanity. Because when he appeared in the upper room to Thomas, he showed them the wounds of in his hands and his feet and his side. So he was still true man and true God. So for us, when we die, that is indeed um, of Adam. We are of dust. And we return to dust. But when the resurrection of the dead occurs, our bodies will be resurrected. And we will be of the man of dust, but also a spiritual body created by God. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Now, what are the spiritual bodies going to be like? I don't know. It doesn't really give us a full description. It just says this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And um, he doesn't quite leave it at that. He'll say a few things more, but that's what he's saying. We will both, we will be human, but we will be redeemed, sanctified, perfect, sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. But our bodies will be. Jesus Christ is the Savior of body and soul. How do we know that? Because when they went into that tomb, he wasn't there. If he had only saved your soul, his body would have been laying in that tomb. The fact that there was no body means... Total redemption, body and soul. Body and soul. All right, let me stop there a minute to see if you got any questions, any questions that I could possibly answer. Yes. That's right we will have physical bodies at the resurrection, but they will also be spiritual bodies. Boy, that's argued. Because why does Jesus still have the marks? If the bodies are going to be made perfect, why does he still have the marks? Um, and that's basically an unanswerable question. What they're exactly going to be like in heaven. So if you walk with a limp on earth, are you going to walk with a limp in heaven? Luther wrote about this and said, absolutely not. These bodies are going to be perfect. Okay, Luther says they're going to be perfect. And we get some sense of that when it says, they're sown in weakness, but raised in power. Okay? So, uh, if I'm going to come down on any side, it's going to be that they're going to be perfect. Okay? They're going to be perfect. Yes? Yes? Well, our souls never die. Our souls never die. The body does. But it becomes alive also. Yeah. Correct. Correct. That old saying if you want to see a real show, be in a cemetery on the day of the second coming. Okay? It's going to be wild. Not even Jesus could. Not even Jesus could. All right. The last section here. And uh, I I I say this or I tell you this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot are not able to to inherit the kingdom of God. Nor can the corruptible inherit the incorruptible. All right, so that's a flat statement. Then he says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. All will not sleep, but all will be changed. All will not sleep means Jesus Christ is going to come and there's still going to be people alive on this earth. Everybody's not going to be dead. He's going to to come and there will still be some alive. But they will all be changed. Okay? And we've just talked about that change. We just talked about that change in a moment, in either the blinking of an eye or the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible or imperishable. And we will be changed. Okay? Let me just read the next one. For it is necessary for the uh, corruptible to be clothed with the incorruptible and for the mortal to be clothed with immortality. So the change is the fact you go from corruptible to incorruptible and from mortal to immortal. God gives you the gift of living forever. He changes you and gives you the gift that you will live together or live forever incorruptible, imperishable, okay, and you put it on like a garment. You know, we have many passages, he who is baptized into Christ has put on Christ, okay? The new man is talked about as something you put on in baptism, okay? So you put on this, then the word that has been written comes true. Oh death. Where is your victory? Death. Where is your um, or, or Death, Where is your victory? He's saying that death does not have the victory. Death does not have the victory. He's saying, uh, first of all, he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Now, the word swallowed up means... To become extinct. That's what it means. To become extinct. Death no longer exists. There will never be death again. Death is gone. Totally gone. And death will no longer have a sting. And then it tells us what the sting is. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. Okay, sin stings us because knowing the law, knowing what God says to do and not to do, And knowing that we do not do what he says and we do exactly what he says not to and we feel guilty about that because we've read it in the law, therefore every time we sin, there's a sting of guilt. And that sting is the sting of death, because we know that when we sin, we deserve to die. The wage of sin is death. There's not going to be any more sting, because there's not going to be any law, because it's not needed, and there's not going to be any sin ever committed again. So since there is no law, and there is no sin, There is and no death, there's no sting of death any longer. You know, death hangs over all human beings. Uh, I don't care who you are, uh, and frankly, the older you get, the more you think about it. Hangs over everybody. It's always out there. And it can strike fear in us, sudden fear in us. You know, you hear something on TV about a health concern, and you immediately got it. Or think you got it. Okay? They show you a melanoma on somebody's arm, and you start looking all over your body, do I have one of these? And you figure out a spot that you think might be, so you run to the doctor and pay him 50 bucks to tell you it's a mole. But you were scared to death, literally to death. I guess it might lead to death. That's the sting of death. That's the sting of death. So, but then he says, Thanks be to God who gives to us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the victory is no longer deaths. The victory belongs to Jesus Christ and he shares that victory with us, Okay, with us. And then his final words, so then my brothers, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, a movable, abounding in the works of the Lord always. Knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Is not in vain. Stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Don't Paul, don't become weak-kneed, okay? Stand firm in the Lord, knowing that when you are leading your life, seeking to do what the Lord would have you do, it is not in vain, okay? It is not in vain. And stand firm. There is going to be a day when Jesus Christ comes and death's going to be gone and sin's going to be gone and the law's going to be gone and you're going to be changed to live forever in immortality. Stand firm in that faith and don't let anything take you away from that faith. Don't let anything take you away from that faith. All right, questions, comments. Yeah, Mark? They will be raised. Uh, The scriptures are clear on that. Uh, Believers are raised, but so are the unbelievers. But they are raised to everlasting punishment. Okay? Well, you know, um, those people that are still alive, uh, well, and those people that are still alive are, are not going to experience physical death. Okay. Uh, not going to experience physical death. Now we have a couple of examples. Uh, Elijah was taken up to heaven in a golden or in a chariot. Uh, did not physically die. Um, Enoch, it says the Lord took it, but it didn't say anything about Enoch dying. Uh, Moses did die, we're told he was buried, okay? But um, when Christ comes again, notice it says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet, it's too late to decide to believe in Jesus when the trumpet sounds. It's over, in the twinkling of an eye, in a moment. Yeah, Jim? On what? Yeah, you know. You can study the history of that. Um, For a lot of years, the church said absolutely not to cremation because God is going to resurrect the body. Why would you burn it? Now, uh, the church is not taking that position anymore. But I will say this, it depends on your motivation. If you die and want to be cremated and your ashes scattered so God can't find you, first of all, you're in for a surprise, but second, you are fleeing from God. That's the wrong reason. Okay? That's the wrong reason. But uh, many people, more people, are being cremated these days. But we, uh, the church is not taking the position that uh, this is sin, something like that, unless you're trying to get away from God. Yeah. Other questions? Yeah? yeah. yeah hmm. yeah hmm. no the church has no position on that. Uh, we we would certainly say, you know, it's very tough when you're dealing with Almighty God to say He doesn't do that. Don't go there, okay? He can't do that. We're going to have to leave these things up to God, okay? Um, certainly, there have been a number of these that certainly reflect that they may have seen Christ. Uh, the only biblical example we have is Lazarus was in the tomb for a grave, four days. When he came back, he didn't tell us anything. Didn't say a word. Didn't say a word because God didn't want him to. But the fact is that, no, that all those things uh, we, we leave to the hands of God. Well, and that could be. That's why we don't get into each one of these and try to discern is this true or not. It's just impossible. It's just impossible. Yes? If something is so clearly in contradiction of Scripture, then we reject it. Then we reject it. Yeah. Yes? Uh, Fabulous. did not believe in the and, Yes. It's interesting that Paul quotes Isaiah here. It was from, it's, from chapter 26, yeah. Uh, but Isaiah was not on the side of Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees probably didn't exist in Isaiah's day. That was a later development. That was a later development. And the Sadducees basically came out, they were heavily influenced by Greek thinking. They were Jews that were heavily heavily influenced by the thinking of the day. And that probably contributed a great deal to their refusal to believe in angels, and the resurrection. Yeah. Correct. Uh, Moses died. Elijah didn't, but they were both on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's why God does what he pleases. Okay. God does what he pleases when he pleases. And just when you think he's got got it all, when you got him all figured out, he'll do something just to mess you up, okay? Mess you up. Okay, next week, we will finish the book of 1 Corinthians, okay? And then we're gonna start another book, but you're gonna have to come back next week to find out what. There has to be a little uh, suspense here. So uh, we will finish 1 Corinthians next week with chapter 16, and uh, then we'll start anew, okay? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.